Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Giving yourself time and grace to have to do things over again is the best thing you can do for actually producing a published book. Welcome to Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, the weekly podcast that asks published authors to share their successful query letter and discuss their journey from first spark to day of publication. I am your host, author Sarah Nicholas, literary agent Sarah M. Fisk. Jessica Pride is a contributing editor for Book Riot and co-host of the Win in Romance podcast. Her book, Black Love Matters, Real Talk on Romance, Being Seen, and Happily Ever Afters, is a collection of essays about the consumption of romantic media and the Black experience. So please welcome Jessica to the show. Hello. Hello. Hi, I'm so happy we're going to talk today about your journey to publication, because it's a little bit, I think, non-standard. And so I'm really excited to hear your story. But we're going to start kind of all the way back at the beginning. When did you first start getting interested in writing? And then how long did it take before you started getting serious about pursuing publication? Oh, gosh, I've been writing for myself forever. I mean, I wrote fan fiction before I knew the word existed. Like I I remember writing this awful story that was like, fix it fic for Romeo and Juliet, like the the Romeo and Juliet movie, like when I was <laughs> when it came out. Like so it's it's been a long time and I've been writing little things for myself for quite some time. And then I started, you know, posting things online and I actually started writing like nonfiction stuff during and after college. Like I I was a humanities student, so I wrote a lot of very academic stuff. But then when I, um, after I got out of library school, I started writing like book reviews and things like that for um, library organizations. And then that sort of randomly led me into Book Riot, where I started, you know, making more assertive essay type arguments and just sort of honing my craft of writing nonfiction and while still working on stuff for myself. Like I have the beginning of probably 20 or 30 novels, like the first (laughs) two or three chapters written out. I've finished a couple, but I haven't like published them yet, but um, they still need a lot of work. But yeah, so I've been I've been writing forever and I've sort of jumped around in types of types and styles. I have always felt the need to produce the written word. Can you tell me more about the moment that you realized that you wanted to be specifically a published author, you know, that you wanted to see your book on bookshelves and what you thought that that might look like for you? I first saw that for myself when I started trying to write fiction that wasn't based on something else. 
I had, I, like I said, I've, I've always written sort of fan stories um, for myself and for the internet. And I had this idea and started working on it and building it out and was just sort of like, this could be a real thing. Like this could be something that other people want to consume and not just me. And I sort of dabbled in it for a little bit. And then it was actually just a few years ago, I would, I was um, hanging out at our local book festival with a, a good friend who is also a writer. And we, she was working that day as an author escort. And uh, we were talking to the author that she was escorting. It was um, DJ Older, Daniel Jose Older. And they had known each other for a while. And he was, he asked me, so it's like, so are you a writer? And I was like, well, I try. And he's like, no, if you, if you, if you write, then you write. And he actually challenged both of us to set a goal. And I think it was like, whoever finishes their book first gets to treat the other one to a vacation or something like that. <laughs> I can't remember what it was, but it was like, okay, so now I have someone outside of myself who is relying on me to get this work done. And neither of us actually reached that goal in the time that we set, but it set us on the path of getting together on a regular basis to write together, to produce something complete and that was really the first time I thought, oh, I could actually like finish this and maybe it can be a real book. And ever since then, I've, I haven't been thinking of the published word as something different from what I do myself. Mm. That is <laughs> such a great story. And I love Daniel. I'm like one of his biggest fans. So he's so great. Yeah. So how did you learn more about the publishing industry? Like how it works, how to query, you know, how to find agents, all those different things. I learned a lot on Twitter because that's just, that's where people talk about things. And I follow a lot of people who have some connection to publishing. Day job editors, people who are, who have a day job and are also editors, people who work in uh, marketing, agents, writers. Uh, like sometimes there have been just random statements of fact that have shown up on Twitter just as like a one-off sidehand statement that opened my eyes to something. So that's that's probably how I learned the most in the early days before I actually connected with someone in publishing. Mm. And then what happened? Can you break down for us your journey from then to signing your first book contract? The books that I was working on with, with my friend did end up something that I wanted to at least share and I participated in a couple like Karina pitches, actually got a request for a full manuscript for one of them. So I went and I I had I had done like maybe four chapters of that. So I went and wrote that whole thing and sent it off and got this is this is a good start, but not right now kind of response. And I 
had just come up with the concept for Black Love Matters, which at that point did not have that title. It was just kind of like this nebulous thing. <laughs> so I was, yeah, I cannot work on one single project at once. It's like my brain doesn't work that way. So I had been working on that, but also thinking about this particular book because I had been reading well-read Black Girl and really connected with it a lot, but didn't see people like me, romance readers in it. Mm -hmm. So I was talking at one of my writing dates with my friend and um, talking about how, like I had sort of written a short version of a, not a proposal, but like a, a concept for a book like that. And she was like, you you might have something here. Like, do you have, is there anybody you can ask? Like, anybody? And I was like, I don't really know. So, but I knew that I followed Tara Gelsonimo, who runs One Track Literary, who she's now an agent, but she used to be an editor for a, a romance imprint. So she kind of had the, the idea, the knowledge of both editing and getting books sold. So I was sitting there kind of like, do I do it? Do I not? I have other things to work on. But my friend kind of pushed me and I sent Tara a Twitter DM because we were mutuals and said, I have a question for you and I'd really love to, to sort of tap into your knowledge. I totally understand if that's free labor that you do not want to offer right now. Um, but I have this idea and I'm just wondering if from your perspective as an agent, it's something that would actually be of interest to publishers. So I, I gave her like a very brief rundown and she responded right away and was like, no problem. This is a great idea. And I think it's a really, it's a space that hasn't been filled. Mm -hmm. Do you have a proposal or anything? And it was like, well, I have this like one page thing that I wrote as a concept. <laughs> and she was like, let me get you some resources to write a nonfiction proposal and then get back to me. Mm. So I went through all of the, um, she gave me a few links that had like examples and sort of the breakdown of what's expected in a nonfiction proposal and a couple of other resources. And I just sort of got to work and we sent it back and forth a few times. And eventually she was like, this is, this is really great. And I would love to help you get this published. And that that's, that's how that's I how you got your agent. <laughs> <laughs> nice. She was like, let's get on a call. It's like, here's the contract. It was like, oh, okay, I have an agent now. So <laughs> it, it was very different from, from how a lot of people go about signing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did promise you an unconventional querying story here. Yeah. Please don't go, you know, you know, <laughs> DMing every agent, you know, trying to get them to sign this. There's just like, sometimes it happens this way, but don't like, <laughs> I, I lucked into it. It wasn't like a, a strategy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So then what happened at that point? So I 
um, like I said, I worked on the proposal. Um, we did a few back and forths. I ended up finishing it up, including um, a full introduction and a bunch of like read-alikes and all of these other elements that go into a nonfiction proposal at my last writer's retreat before all of this stuff happened. Then she took it away from from there and she sort of gave me a rundown of who she thought might be interested as romance imprints, since those were kind of the the primary reader of what we had in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked to a few different romance publishers. She got back to me with a few responses. We had a few phone calls and um, the sort of, the, not just the goal, but the scope of the project changed a little bit. So I built the proposal out a little more, ended up writing a sample chapter that did not end up in the book because it was <laughs> definitely not as good as um, some of the the essays that we ended up with and talked to a few people. I did kind of the same thing as far as reaching out to people I wanted to contribute or at least name as contributors because I didn't have to have a firm list, but a potential list. So some some people I sent very formal emails to their agents. Some people I uh, reached out to in Twitter DMs and was like, can I send you an email? <laughs> um, some people I had to fill out, you know, um, contact me forms on their websites as i built out a a list of people who were interested i got more interest um or tara got more interest from different publishers so then i was able to this by this point we were firmly entrenched in the pandemic so i had multiple zoom meetings in the earliest days of of more than a few people doing Zoom at a time and mm-hmm. talking with people about what my goals were, what their goals could be, and that kind of thing. And then eventually, Berkeley expressed interest. And we had a really good conversation about where the book could go with Berkeley marketing dollars. I'm not gonna lie, that was a <laughs> big thing. And we went from there. I love it. My agent brain is kind of working because it's like, it's a nonfiction book, but the obvious choice is romance publishers who don't typically publish nonfiction, mm-hmm. but that's the audience. It's the exact same audience. So I just like love the concept of like taking a book like this <laughs> to people who might nor- not normally publish nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole journey fascinates me. It's great. So this is the point where you would read your query letter for us, but you don't have one. (laughs) So (laughs) we're going to skip that part. How has your experience been since signing that first book contract? Especially, did you stumble along any things that really surprised you along the way? The experience has been interesting because of all of the elements of producing a book like this especially in a time where nobody can go anywhere. Like, of course, now people can go places, but like this was a complete pandemic baby, like from saying that a contract would happen to actually signing it, producing all of the work, um, communicating with 13 other people who are contributing to the book, communicating with the entire team in New York that was working on the book, going through 
the process of editing and submitting and recruiting more authors. Cause at one point it was like, we actually have to hit page limit. So let's get a few more people in here and then editing again and copy editing and past pages and going through multiple cover things, which I was, I was not surprised, but kind of delighted by the fact that they took a lot of my notes into account as far as what I, how I wanted this book packaged, um, especially with the very queerness of the cover. Like <laughs> I, I, I'm, it's sort of weird to think about that, but like, this is a very queer cover and I didn't, I wasn't sure if, if it would be something that they would be supportive of, but they were very much supportive of it and it produced such a great example of what a book cover can be, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. So as far as the process goes, I think the the biggest, not surprise, but well, I guess surprise because it was unexpected was the time in between mm-hmm. where it just, it didn't feel like the book actually existed yeah. because <laughs> everything had been submitted and then there was there was like months of silence before I even got <laughs> copy edits back. So it was like, did this did this actually happen at all? Mm-hmm. Is this a real book? It was like that that Pinocchio period where it's like it's not a real book because it's just gone. It's not. I'm not working on it. I spent all this time working on it, and now like nothing's happening. I haven't talked to any editors. I haven't talked to any marketing people. I like there's just nothing happening right now. And of course they have other books to work on at that point. I know that, <laughs> but it was just kind of like, so I'm just going to wait until I hear something. Yeah. The waiting game in publishing is strong. Mm-hmm. All right. It is time for the quick round. I call it author DNA, just classifications that we like to put writers in sometimes. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Uh, Planter, or as somebody said at a book festival, a panty liner. <laughs> a panty liner. <laughs> I heard that. Oh gosh. Okay. Do you tend to be an overwriter or an underwriter? I am totally an underwriter. Most of my editing involves building things out to fake re- to realize what I missed. Mm. Do you prefer to write in the morning or at night? At night. When starting with a new project, do you typically start with character or plot or concept or something else first? A scene, actually. A scene. All right. Cool. Do you prefer coffee or tea? Usually tea, but I've been big into iced coffee recently. Mm. When writing, do you prefer silence or some kind of sound? Gotta have my jams. (laughs) When it comes to writing the first draft, are you more of a get it down kind of person or a get it right kind of person? I want to say get it down but if I can't get it right sometimes it doesn't get down (laughs) (laughs) what tools or software do you use to draft I am very much a Scrivener person but also Google Docs (laughs) do you prefer drafting or revising more revising (laughs) do you write in sequential order or do you hop around I usually write in sequential order and final quick round question are you an extrovert or an introvert total introvert (laughs) So the show is called Queries, Qualms, and Quirks, and now we're going to get into the second cue. 
What were some of the worries that you had on your journey and were they realized or did you overcome them or how did those shake out? My biggest worry was that the book in my mind would not be the book that was produced Mm. um, just because especially when it comes to anthologies, you you don't know what's going to come on the page um, from other people. You can, you only have control over maybe like helping them figure out a concept and then making sure that that concept is, is produced clearly. So, well, for one thing, there was a lot of silence also on that end in the earliest days. It would be like, all right, everybody, we're actually writing a book now. So um, tell me what you're writing about. Mm -hmm. Some people would be like, I have this whole idea. Some people would be like, I thought about just writing this, this idea. And it was like, that's great. Send it to me. And then there was a lot of, hey, guys, how's it going? (laughs) Got any drafts? How's your draft going? Um, So that was, that had me worried. Because I wasn't sure if that meant that I would have to do a whole lot of editing at the very end, or that I would have to send things that weren't edited. Um, Because there were a couple things that were late, and I ended up just sending them along without, without having any conversations with, with the authors, um, just to to get it through and then we you know we fix some things in copy editing and past pages and stuff but I didn't have the chance to help them build out their idea it was just kind of like what I got was what everyone else got with some you know edit edits but without the back and forth that I got to do with some of the other contributors it's hard to really know what a book like that's going to look like at the end but I think it got close enough to my original vision that I wasn't like, that I was really still really proud of the work. Like I wasn't devastated by the fact that this author had to drop out or this concept wasn't 10 more pages or, or whatever. But that was for that kind of book. That was the biggest worry I had, I think. Yeah. Now it's time for the third cue. Do you have any writing quirks? Is there anything about your writing process that's kind of different or interesting or unique? Like this, I said um, in the quick round, I usually end up getting getting inspired from my fiction writing by a scene that pops up in my head. And sometimes I can't get that out in paper. Like, even even my nonfiction, like the essay that I wrote for the book about interracial romance, like there was this vision that I had of like a concept that I tried to build out as much as I could, but I still think I missed some things that were like building in this whole movie that I had envisioned in my head before writing it down. And so when I'm like, when I, come up with an idea for a novel. Like I said, I have like the beginning of 20 or 30 novels just hanging out. There's usually like some image that I see, like a meet cute or a conversation or a fight on the mound or something that sort of starts, starts the rest of the story to build. I really wish that I was better at getting getting that written out because maybe I would actually finish a novel, but um, 
it's it's a quirk that helps me start something but doesn't help me finish Mm -hmm. so when you have been in the lowest parts of your journey to publication what has kept you going and why have you stuck with it for this particular book black love matters i always had tara in my corner even when it felt like she thought it was a great idea and I thought it was a great idea. And the people that I had reached out to who were interested in being a part of it thought it was a necessary idea, but it seemed like publishers weren't thinking it was a great idea. Mm. But I had all of these people behind me and working for and with me to really help people see how good of an idea it was like i I'm, i've been trying to do better at tooting my own horn it was a great <laughs> idea um so you know there was a lot of time that i don't think i talked about this book online like at all while i was trying to get it published mm. but i still have a community who was sort of encouraging everyone with everything keep doing the work and eventually you'll be rewarded And I just like having that whole community of people who were in my corner and who were just sending things out into the void really kept me positive about eventually getting the thing published. Yeah, it's always great to have people in your corner. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you made any mistakes on the way either with this book or any other book? that you might want to warn listeners about so they don't make the same ones? One of the mistakes that you can definitely make is having too big or too small of an audience in mind. Mm -hmm. And with this book in particular, there were some people who were like, well, who is this for? And I think I actually went too broad and said, everyone who's going to read it. And yes, that is true. This book is for everyone. I think everyone can get something out of it. But I didn't I didn't work hard enough to get the focus in the book that I actually initially planned to. And that's that's just in the in the planning thing that doesn't really work as well for like a fiction author because you have your story and you have it ready to go for the other stuff that I would love to have published one day. I think my biggest mistake has always been stopping. And that's just a thing where I overwhelm myself with things that I want to do. I have my day job. I have my, other work, I have other projects that I want to do. And I don't know how to say no. So I don't actually give myself time to produce the work that I want to write. Mm. So I end up setting things on the back burner and then just sort of never coming back to them. And I think that is something that I am going to try to do better with in the future, just sort of like making things actually give so that I can give more of myself to 
the books that I want to write mm. instead of just publishing Black Love Matters and being like, peace publishing, I'm done. <laughs> I'll, I'll just keep buying books from you now on, from now on. So <laughs> about the first one, I remember going to this writing retreat it was really weird how I ended up there. I don't, I don't know. It, that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that they talked about was picturing a singular ideal reader. Mm. And it's like, if this book pleases that singular ideal reader, then you'll have accomplished what you wanted to accomplish. And if other people like it too, that's great. Sometimes whenever I get stuck trying to appeal to too many audiences, I think back on that and it really helps me kind of focus. Mm -hmm. That is great advice. (laughs) Yeah, I liked it. Can you share with listeners one of the most important lessons that you have learned on your journey to publication? Giving yourself time and grace to have to do things over again is the best thing you can do for actually producing a published book running with an idea that might be completely out of nowhere but that you have very strong convictions about might take you to a place you never thought you'd end up yeah awesome All right. I call this the acknowledgements portion of the podcast. This is not a business that most of us succeed in completely on our own. So who, I know you've mentioned several along the way, but who are some of the people or even organizations who have helped you along the way and how? Well, my friend, Sarah Hannah Gomez, I should mention her. Hannah is one of my best friends and she is the one who pushed me to send that initial message and she is the first person I asked to contribute to the book because she was right there when I was writing the proposal. (laughs) She's basically the sole person who has kept me writing for the past several years. Mm. And Book Riot is huge. And not even the publication of Book Riot, but the community of Book Riot where there's there's a lot that happens behind the scenes and um, having the support of that group of people and being able to support them when they have big projects that they're working on separate from the website has been really immeasurable in keeping me going because that's where I go to when I have something that I just need to talk about right away or a question or some encouragement. And that's been really, really helpful. Awesome. All right. So we have been talking about Black Love Matters for most of the podcast. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what the book is about for readers who might be interested in checking it out? Absolutely. So Black Love Matters is a collection of essays written by authors, readers, and people who do, do a little bit of both about their experience with romance novels or romantic fiction or kind of a greater concept of Black love, the experience of having a romantic connection between multiple Black people. And each person brings their point of view, not just about um, how they've seen it or produced it, 
but what's missing and how we can fill that gap. Mm. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with everyone. Thank you so much for having me. This was a, a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Queries, Qualms, and Quirks. You can find out more about Jessica and her book in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate if you'd help me find new listeners by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, telling your friends, or sharing this episode on social media. If you're interested in supporting the show, go to patreon.com slash pubtalklive. And if you're a published author interested in being a guest on the show, please click on the home base link in the description or go to sarahnicholas.com and click on the podcast logo in the sidebar. That's Sarah with an H and Nicholas with no H. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.